this is Jane Gunn, the corporate peacemaker and author of How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. And this podcast is about how we can use the skills and tools of conflict resolution to live happier and more productive lives. Well, um, it's a great pleasure to be talking again to Frank McKinney. We had a, um, a conversation a few weeks ago and I thought we only had half the story with Frank because uh, one of the things we didn't talk about was Frank's um, participation in the ultramarathon. So, Frank, welcome and uh, I hope you're well today. Oh, I'm great. I'm coming to you today from my treehouse office again, like I did before, where yes. we're about, you know, 20 some feet above sea level. Um, so it'll be great fun to talk about the ultramarathon because I think that's an event uh, and you can tell us more about it, Frank, but it takes part in uh, bad water. Is that right? Yes, the, the, the name of the event is the Badwater 135-mile ultramarathon. Right. It, it takes place every year and has since 1977 in the Death Valley Desert, which is uh, the Mojave Desert in Southern California, right. where the, uh, the daytime temperatures can exceed 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. And the, the, uh, the pavement temperature is over 200 degrees. Wow. So we're running on a road. We're not running through the sand, and and we are indeed running 135 miles nonstop from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere, being Badwater at 282 feet below sea level. We traverse over three mountain ranges, so we're going below sea level, sea level, and then a mile up, and then back down to sea level, and then back up again three times, and we finish at about 8,500 feet above sea level, uh, 135 miles later. And how does that take take place, Frank? Is it over a number of days, or, or how do you manage that distance? Well, as I said, it's it's a nonstop race that does have a time cutoff. Mm -hmm. So if you don't finish the race in under 48 hours, you are disqualified. Oh. No matter how far you've gone or how hard you've tried, if you don't cross the finish line in under 48 hours, you you are uh, you are disqualified. So yes, it does take it takes me. Uh, my best time is around 40 hours. Uh, the winner, the winners actually win this race. The, the people that go to actually win uh, run it in around 24 hours, if you can believe that. I can't uh, believe so it, but anyway. <laughs> it's hard to believe. But but I'll tell you, seeing as as you're in the UK, there is a a um, a legacy, a a gentleman who is a, a legend in this sport who finished the race this year uh, at 75 years old, and he's from the UK. Do you know his name? Oh, I indeed I do. He is a superhero of mine. His name is Jack Dennis, D-E-N-N-E-S-S. -S. Yes. And if you could ever, I could help you get a hold of him, he would be wonderful to have on one of your calls yeah. because I, I tell you, as I'm struggling across the desert, I, I think about him. And, and and by the way, he's finished this race some 10 times uh, to be able to, to pull something off like that. And again, the, the race, Jane, is According to the National Geographic, it's the toughest foot race in the world, period. Yeah. So, you know, you have you have that insurmountable challenge that's put in front of you, like a race like that, and you, you choose to take it on, and, and you become inspired not only by your own participation, but by somebody like Jax, who, who's 75 years old and found a way to finish that race. So, so tell us about that, Frank. How, you know, what is it that inspires you or motivates you to take on something like this, which can't be it can't be easy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you're really putting yourself through something extremely grueling. Why would you do it? 
Well, I think for your listeners, I think what, one of the interesting things that they might find unique is that I am not a marathoner or even ultra, an ultra, ultra marathoner by, by hobby. I, I really am just an average guy who had back in 2004. I happened to be vacationing, vacationing out in Death Valley with my my wife and daughter, and we stumbled across the race just by chance. They happened to be running the race at the time that we were vacationing out there. Mind you, I'm a six mile and, and every other day runner, and I run for speed. I don't run for distance, so I am a runner, but I'm not an ultra marathoner or even a marathoner, and so. I think the interesting metaphor is is something in life, many things in life, may lay themselves on your heart, on your soul, that really seem to excite you, intoxicate your senses. And when I learned that there was such a race, there were there were individuals by invitation putting themselves voluntarily through this grueling test of human will and endurance, I was captivated. And and life captivates us by presenting moments like this on, on rare occasion, right? It doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. The, the, the unfortunate thing is most of us are captivated, and then we say to ourselves, well, that change or challenge seems so insurmountable. It seems incomprehensible. It seems impossible. Yes. And that, that honestly, that was my first thought. But the more I studied, the more I decided I hired a coach to get me into the proper shape, to be able to just finish a race like that, I think the, the greatest takeaway, and I've now finished the race five times on, on five separate occasions, five years, mm-hmm. I have found that it, the doors it has opened to me by saying yes more than no, by, by agreeing to believe in myself and believe that I can take on this insurmountable challenge, that I could, I could, I could properly plan for a race like that and train for it with that sole mission of finishing the race – I, I can't tell you how inspiring that's been for me in my life outside of the race, in business and philanthropy. It's taught me a whole lot that these insurmountable challenges that present, ourse- present themselves to us that we seem to be captivated by, that we should pursue more of them instead of saying that that, that, that just can't happen for me. And when we spoke before, Frank, I think you said that, you know, in terms of your uh, your business success uh, and so on, that this had given you something extra, something that was missing in a sense or that you perhaps didn't know was missing. But once you discovered it, you found it added something to to how you were living your life. I, I feel most alive when I experience extremes, mm. regardless what, what those extremes are. And, and kind of living the dichotomy that is found in life. So if, if I feel alive by pursuing professionally some of the beautiful houses that we build on speculation on the ocean, some of the most magnificent homes you'll ever see in the world, at, at, you know, we just sold a house for $23 million on speculation. Uh, and also by, what, by way of what we do with our charity over in Haiti where we built 15 self-sufficient villages over the last seven years and provided shelter to over 7,000 desperately poor and homeless people – this is really just another dimension, uh, but, but it's a little bit more physical. And, and Jane, we've used my participation in that race every year as a way to raise funds for our Caring House Project Foundation under the simple premise that I choose to, to selectively suffer a little for those who are suffering a lot involuntarily in a place like Haiti. And I think I wrote something in my own book about winning and losing and referred to people in sport and winning and losing and running marathons and the fact that 
running it for a purpose other than your own purpose. So running it for charity or, or whatever that might be seems to add as well another dimension to that challenge. It, you know, that's a great observation. Obviously, there is the personal and the selfish reasons for running this, uh, right? I mean, we, 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 I enjoy the challenge and it is, it is, uh, you know, incomprehensible and, and it, it's, it laid itself on my heart and I love that feeling alive when experiencing extremes. That is a given. But, but when I realized that, that I could simply put one foot in front of the other, you know, 200,000 times is how many footfalls it took me to get across that desert at 135 miles. But I had a greater purpose. You know what it does? It certainly gives you motivation when you feel like quitting. Mm. You know, I mean, if it was just for me and just all about me, I, I can tell you that there are there are some overwhelmingly debilitating moments during that race that the, the average person would say, I am finished. I'm done. My eyes have rolled back in my head. I'm I'm shaking uncontrollably. I'm having, you know, heat exhaustion issues, uh, you know, all the, the terrible things that the body endures, what for? I mean, what am I doing this for? Yeah. And when I realize, uh, yes, that there are people that are benefiting who suffer every single day of their lives without choice in a poor country like Haiti, it causes me for me to put on my shoes and my hat and my sunglasses and get back out there when I've thought about quitting. And one of the things I, I wrote about as well in terms of winning, whether it's courtroom battles or on the sports field, is that if there is this other or if there isn't another purpose, that people often feel a sort of great anticlimax when they get to the end and that having this extra purpose makes the winning worthwhile somehow. It certainly does. Uh, I will tell you that, that when I cross that finish line and, and I, by the way, you know, the old adage, it's life is about the journey, not the destination. Mm is is been proven true to me you know 5 years running as i finished that race where there's there's a bit of some you know this euphoria that's involved in crossing that finish line but really when i look back at all we had to endure not only in the race but training and leading up to the race it's that journey i guess that i miss each year or that i look forward to each year uh, and then so when when we when we cross the finish line there's no doubt that knowing that we raised I don't know, this year we raised about $10,000 for our charity and that that $10,000 could actually build four brand new homes in Haiti and house four families of eight. So 32 people were now living in a nice concrete home because I chose to participate in this insane race across the desert. It, it is very gratifying. So one of the things you've uh, done, Frank, I think he's gone on to try and help other people who are perhaps are never going to, to to run the ultra marathon to learn some of the lessons from your experience about how we or they can tackle any challenge which seems in our own lives to be insurmountable and you talk about that in terms of having a power plan tell us more about that yeah what i decided to do and we've done this now two years running is what well actually from the very first race jane we had a videographer that would videotape the the spectacle uh and and then we did we would you know record that and we'd make a little dvd and we'd use we'd watch it as a team after we were done just to reminisce well the last couple of years we got a little bit better at it and i realized there's so many life lessons that i have learned out there running in that race that are wonderful metaphors for the race of life i mean subtract out the fact that most people aren't going to run in a race like that we all run in the race of life and so in, in a microcosm, really, in, in two days' time, in that blast furnace called the Death Valley Desert, the lessons that I've learned have been invaluable to me 
And as an author of five books, I felt, wow, what a great way to share some of those lessons. And yes, they've been re- referenced in, in, in some of my recent books, in not, not a whole book, but in chapters. Mm-hmm. But why not make a, D, a short DVD? And the one you're referring to is called The Power of Plan mm-hmm. uh, that is going to come out here on December 17th. So depending on when this airs, it may already be out. Uh, but really, as we go into the new year, I use my, my last race, again, as the backdrop to set the stage for what did I do in terms of planning for this year's race that allowed me, Jane, to knock almost three hours off of my best time that I set when I was five years younger, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm supposed to be getting slower, supposed to be getting more complacent, and I when I... When I stripped it all down I, and I kind of did the post-mortem after the race, I realized the plan that I put in place that I involved my team with – by the way, there is no aid stations out there. So I had a, a, a support crew of four people that counted every calorie and every ounce of fluid and every potassium, sodium, magnesium, electrolyte that went into my body and out of my body. We that I, I realized, wow, what about – what's your – if that plan was so powerful to have provide, produce results so just I never would have thought I could have knocked that much time off my my best time many years ago. Let's use that race and excerpts from the race and also excerpts that they're filmed up here in my treehouse to help the viewer codify their plan for 2011. That's what the video is about. So if you if you go to our website, which is just frank-mckinney.com and on the homepage on the top right, you'll see the power of plan uh, DVD cover, click on that. It'll take you to the online store page where you can watch a trailer for the video to kind of see what it's going to be about, a three-minute trailer, and also some text that we wrote about what what is the power of plan and how can it benefit you in your life. So can you give us a preview of, of one or maybe two of the of the key lessons that you, you think are in the DVD? Yeah, I can tell you that, that first of all, um, you know, in business – when we set our goals or our plans for a given year, and by the way, I'm not a big fan of long-term planning. I don't think I think it's actually um, it's inhibiting. If I were to put together a five-year plan, I guarantee I would exceed it within two years. So I'm not a big fan of it. I'm a one-year plan kind of person. Mm-hmm. And so what the what the DVD does is it, it, it first it helps you identify just one meaningful yet seemingly insurmountable change or challenge that will leave your life forever changed. Just one. That's all I'm asking you to identify. It it can be relational. It can be philanthropic. It can be business-related. It can be health-related. It can be exercise-related. But I want you to identify one. Once you've done that, then this is a really, um, I guess, a, a relieving concept. In the race, we, you know, most people set um, once you identify that change or challenge, then you set goals to achieve, achieve that change or challenge. Mm-hmm. What I what we did in the race, and now I'm doing this in my own life, is I'm setting minimum, default, and primary goals that I associate with any new endeavor. So, in other words, yes, we're going to shoot for that primary goal, but then there's a default goal. And in the case of the race, my 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 primary goal was to finish. Um, on my daughter's birthday, which would mean I'd have to finish under 42 hours. That we had, that was, I'd never finished that fast before. Then a default goal was just to finish in under 48 hours. And then a minimum goal was not to, not to, uh, 
to disqualify myself, not to not finish, you know, just, just finish. finish no matter what. <laughs> yeah. But but I think what it what it caused for us to realize is as we're we're navigating this this race of life, you know, sometimes if you don't hit the primary goal, the default goal isn't all that bad. And the minimum goal is better than not finishing at all. So those are the kind of things that and, and also I'm gonna put in a third one, how important it is when you're making these plans and identifying that one goal to involve your team. Yeah. You know, you don't do this in a vacuum and, and when I set out my plan and I, I have this crew that, it, hey, listen, there is no mile 135. Uh, actually, there's no mile five, let alone mile 135 without this crew. They are everything to me. I involve them in the planning process. Everybody bought into the plan and the results, you know, caused for me to just blow away my, my, my expectations. I was going to ask you about team because D Dave Carpenter, who I think you know, but one been one of my interviewees talks about having in life an all-star team and i just think it's a wonderful concept that all of us need to have oh i can't tell you and again let's use the metaphor if if i have to ingest 300 calories an hour and most of those calories have to come in the form of liquid because it's hard to digest when you're you know running forward and and if you combine that with sleep deprivation, the fact that, listen, I'm not sleeping for those two days and I'm in 130 degree heat and the hallucinating and the, you know, just the, the wavering on the road. If I didn't have that crew there to count the calories, to count the fluid, to make sure I wasn't getting hit by a car, I would never make mile five. And, and isn't that so true in our lives? There are, there are people that are that important to us. You know, my job was staying on that white line because, again, we run on the road and there's that painted white line. My job was to stay on that white line and keep moving forward. That's pretty much what I have to do. They have to worry about everything else on the spreadsheet, you know, the food and the calories and the drink. What an important part of this undertaking. And so when I – and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, you know, a soloist. I'm a, I'm a loner. I don't, I, don't, I don't have, you know, a big – a throng of people around me all the time. I do best when I'm on my own. I had to realize, Frank, that that isn't going to work here. You have got to involve these important people. And Jane, every year, you know, when I put my crew together, it's an interview process because it's up. It'll be up to them to get me to the finish line. It won't be up to me. Mm. And I think sometimes also, Frank, we forget how valuable, even in business, our family are as part of our team. Um, I always say that the family is a stakeholder in, in my business and, and they must be a, a, a stakeholder too in, in your success in this kind of enterprise. Well, hey, let's, let's again, let's, let's come off the race course. Well, let's start at the race course. My wife is the crew chief. She has been all five years. I've had a brother and a sister on the crew in the past. I come off the race course. My wife and I, my, I'm the builder, I'm the creator of these homes. My wife is the interior designer, has been for 23 years. So, you know, and we've been a great team, you know, in the desert and outside of the desert. I, there's no way I would have been where I am today without that trust and confidence that we have in each other. So, Frank, are you, um, you're signed up again for next year? Well, here's, here's how that works. It, the, the applications come out in February. Uh-huh. And, um, it, you have 15 days to apply now. He, here's the process. Just because I finished before doesn't mean I'm automatically guaranteed to get in. There are over 2,000 people reportedly, because uh, this is a closely kept secret by the race director, 2,000 people that apply to this race. You have to apply. It's like – honestly, the, the application process is like trying to get into Harvard or, or Yale. 
it's extremely rigorous. The, the um, and I think maybe that's why I've gotten in because I like to write and I've written books. But you have to write a uh, you know a, a um, an es- essays, a numerous essays as to why you should be invited, etc. So that comes out in February, uh, and and of those two thousand people that try to get in, only ninety are invited. Uh, so I, I, in all likelihood, God willing, I, I will put my application in in February, uh, and, and hopefully I'll be selected to come back. Well, I'll be looking at the website, uh, Frank, and and uh, and looking forward to, to seeing your DVD when it comes out and uh, learning more of the uh, of the key lessons in the power plan. And uh, that will be great. And no doubt there's some footage of you in the race itself on that DVD. Uh, it's a great learning tool, and it's also a great teaching tool if you happen to be a teacher of any kind. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a number of, of, of speakers and stuff that have bought quite a few of them to use to you know to teach that lesson of planning. You can have the lofty goal and you can have the grandiose ideas, but if you don't have this well thought out plan that you can execute from, those are just pipe dreams. They're not going to materialize. Well, Frank, I'm really inspired by um, chatting to you today. I, I don't think somehow I'm going to be signing up for the marathon, but I'm very keen to learn some of the lessons about. Um, goal setting and um, and so on for 2011 from, from your power plan. So I thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you, Jane. And just make sure all listeners go to Frank-McKinney. That's a hyphen, Frank-McKinney, M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. Top right, click on the power plan, take a read, watch the trailer, and, and see if it's something that you think might work for your life. Frank, thank you so much for taking time with us today. Thank you, Jane. Thanks.